0: Chapter thirty three of the Crown of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Crown of Life by George Gissing. Chapter thirty three. Once in the two years interval, he had paid a short visit to England. He came on disagreeable business to see his brother Daniel, who had fallen into the hands of the police on an infamous charge and only by the exertions of a clever counsel feed by peers received the benefit of a doubt and escaped punishment daniel had already written him several begging letters and when detected in what looked like crime declared that poverty and ill-health were his excuse he was a broken man surmising his hidden life piers wondered at the pass a man can be brought to in our society by his primitive instincts instincts which may lead when they are impetuous either to grimiest degradation or loftiest attainment to save him if possible from the worst extremities piers granted him a certain small income to be paid weekly and therewith bade him final adieu the firm of moncharmont and co grew in moderate prosperity its london representative was a far better man from the commercial point of view than piers otway And on visiting the new offices, which he did very soon after reaching London in the spring of 1894, Piers marvelled how the Enterprise had escaped shipwreck during those twelve months which were so black in his memory with storm and stress. The worst twelve months of his life, with the possible exception of that which he spent part at Ewell and part at Odessa since he had sailed in no smooth water had seen no haven but at least he sailed onward which gave him courage was courage to be now illumined with hope he tried to keep that thought away from him he dares not foster it among the papers he brought with him to england was a letter which having laid it aside he never dared to open again he knew it by heart unfortunately for his peace he returned to another london than that he had known a london which smiled welcome it was his duty no less than his pleasure to call upon certain people for whom he had letters of introduction from friends in russia and their doors opened wide for him upon formalities followed kindness the season was beginning and at his modest lodgings arrived cards notes bidding to ceremonies greater and less one or two of these summonses bore names which might have stirred envy in the sons of fashion solus faci he allowed himself a little pride his doing it was true had as yet been nothing much to the eye of the world but he had made friends under circumstances not very favourable friends among the intelligent and the powerful that gift it seemed was his if no other the ability to make himself liked and respected he by law the son of nobody had begun to approve himself true son of the father he loved and honoured his habits were vigorous rising very early he walked across the park and had a swim in the serpentine the hours of the solid day he spent for the most part in study at the british museum then if he had no engagement he generally got by train well out of town, and walked in sweet air until nightfall. Or, if the weather were bad, he granted himself the luxury of horse hire, and rode, rode, teeth set against wind and rain. This earned him sleep, his daily prayer to the gods. At the date appointed, he went in search of Mrs. Borisoff, who welcomed him cordially. Her first inquiry was whether he had got the castle. ''I have got it,'' Piers replied, and entered into particulars. They talked about it like children anticipating a holiday. Mrs. Borisov then questioned him about his doings since he had been in England. On his mentioning a certain great lady, a Russian, with whom he was to dine next week, his friend replied with a laugh, which she refused to explain. ''When can you spend an evening here? I don't mean a dinner.'' "'I'll give you something to eat, but it doesn't count. "'You come to talk, as I know you can, "'though you didn't let me suspect it at Petersburg. "'I shall have one or two others, old chums, "'not respectable people. Name your own day.' "'When the evening came, "'Piers entered Mrs. Borisoff's drawing-room with trepidation. "'He glanced at the guest who had already arrived, "'a lady unknown to him, "'and when again the door opened, he looked trembling. His fearful hope ended only in a headache, but he talked, as was expected of him, and the hostess smiled approval. These friends of yours, he said aside to her before leaving, are nice people to know, but... Um, and he broke off, meeting her eyes. I don't understand, said his hostess with a perplexed look. Then I dare not try to make you a few days after at the great house of the great russian lady he ascended the stairs without a tremor and glanced around the room with indifference no one would be there whom he could not face calmly brilliant women awed him a little at first but it was not until afterwards in the broken night following such occasions as this that they had power over his imagination then he saw them drawn upon darkness their beauty without that halo of worldly grandeur which would not allow him to forget the gulf between them the hostess herself shone by quality of intellect rather than by charm of feature she greeted him with subtlest flattery a word or two of simple friendliness in her own language and was presenting him to her husband when from the doorway sounded a name which made otway's heart leap and left him tongue-tied mrs borisoff and miss derwent he turned but with eyes downcast for a moment he dared not raise them he moved insensibly a few steps backward shadowed himself behind two men who were conversing together and at length he looked with thrill of marvelling and rapture with chill of self-abasement when years ago he saw irene in the dress of ceremony she seemed to him peerlessly radiant but it was the beauty and dignity of one still girlish what he now beheld was the exquisite fulfilment of that bright promise he had not erred in worship she who had ever been to him the light of life the beacon of his passionate soul shone before him supreme among women what head so noble in its unconscious royalty? What form so faultless in its mould and bearing? He heard her speak, the graceful nothings of introduction and recognition. It was Irene's voice, toned to a fuller music. Then her face, dazzled, and grew distant. He turned away to command himself. Mrs. Borisoff spoke beside him. Have you no good evening for me? "'So this is what you meant. "'You have a way of speaking in riddles. "'And you a way of acting divinely. "'Tell me.' "'His voice sank and his words were hurried. "'May I go up to her as any acquaintance would? "'May I presume that she knows me? "'You mean Miss Derwin? "'But why not? "'I don't understand you. "'Oh, no, no, I forget. "'It seems to you absurd.' Oh, Of course, she, she wrote and introduced me to you. You are amusing, which is more than can be said of everyone. She bent her head and turned to speak with someone else. Piers, with what courage he knew not, stepped across the carpet to where Miss Derwent was sitting. She saw his approach and held her hand to him as if they had met only the other day that her complexion was a little warmer than its wont, Piers had no power of perceiving. He saw only her eyes, soft shining as they rose to his, in their depths an infinite gentleness. Oh, how glad I am that you got my letter just before leaving Petersburg! How kind of you to introduce me to Mrs. Borisoff. I thought you would soon be friends. It was all they could say at this moment the host murmured his request that otway would take down mrs borisoff the hostess led up some one to be introduced to miss derwent and then the procession began piers was both disappointed and relieved to have felt the touch upon his arm of irene's hand would have been a delight unutterable yet to desire it was presumption he was not worthy of that companionship it would have been unjust to irene to oblige her to sit by him through the dinner with the inevitable thoughts rising in her mind better to see her from a distance though it was hard when she smiled at the distinguished and clever-looking man who talked and talked it cost him at first no small effort to pay becoming attention to mrs borisoff The lady, on his other hand, a brilliant beauty, moved him to a feeling almost hostile. He knew not why. But as the dinner progressed, as the kindly vintage circled in his blood, he felt the stirrings of a deep joy. By his own effort, he had won reception into Irene's world. It was something. It was much, remembering all that had gone before. He spoke softly to his partner. I'm going to drink a silent health, that of my friend Korolovich. To him, I owe everything. Oh, I don't believe that, but I will drink it too. I was speaking of him to Miss Derwent. She wants to know all about the Dukoborzi. Instruct her afterwards if you get a chance. Do you think her altered? No. Uh, yes. By the by how long is it really since you first knew her eight years just eight years you speak as if it were eighty why so it seems when i look back i was a boy and had the strangest notions of the world you shall tell me all about that some day said mrs borisoff glancing at him at the castle perhaps oh yes the castle. When the company divided, and Piers had watched Irene pass out of sight, he sat down with a tired indifference. But his host drew him into conversation on Russian subjects, and as happened before now in gatherings of this kind, Otway presently found himself amid attentive listeners whilst he talked of things that interested him at such moments he had an irreflective courage which prompted him to utter what he thought without regard to anything but the common civilities of life his opinions might excite surprise but they did not give offence for they seemed impersonal the natural outcome of honest and capable observation with never a touch of national prejudice or individual conceit it was well perhaps for the young man's natural modesty that he did not hear certain remarks afterwards exchanged between the more intelligent of his hearers. When they passed to the drawing-room, the piano was sounding there. It stopped, and the player rose and moved away, but not before Piers had seen that it was irene. He felt robbed of a delight. Oh, to hear irene play! Better was in store for him with a boldness natural to the hour he drew nearer nearer watching his opportunity the chair by irene's side became vacant he stepped forward and was met with a frank countenance which invited him to take the coveted place miss derwent spoke at once of her interest in the russian sectaries with whom she had heard otway was well acquainted the people called Dukobozzi, who held the carrying of arms a sin and suffered persecution because of their conscientious refusal to perform military service piers spoke with enthusiasm of these people they uphold the ideal above all necessary to our time we ought to be rapidly outgrowing warfare isn't that the obvious next step in civilization? it seems a commonplace that everyone should look to that end and strive for it yet we're going back there's a military reaction fighting is glorified by everyone who has a loud voice and in no country more than in england i wish you could hear a russian friend of mine speak about it a rich man who has just given up everything to join the ducobozi I never knew before what religious passion meant, and it seems to me that this is the world's only hope. Peace made religion. The forms don't matter. Only let the supreme end be peace. It is what people have talked so much about, the religion of the future. His tones moved the listener as appeared in her look and attitude. Surely all the best in every country. Lean to it, she said of course that's our hope but at the same time the pitiful thing for the best hold back keep silence as if their quiet contempt could prevail against this activity of the reckless and foolish one can't make a religion said irene sadly it is just this religious spirit which has decayed throughout our world christianity turns to ritualism and science we were told you know that science would be religion enough there's the pity the failure of science as a civilising force i know added piers quickly that there are men whose spirit whose work doesn't share in that failure they are the men the very few who are above self-interest but science on the whole has come to mean money-making and weapon-making it leads the international struggle it is judged by its value to the capitalist and soldier isn't this perhaps a stage of evolution that the world must live through to its extreme results very likely the signs are bad enough you haven't yourself that enthusiastic hope i try to hope said piers in a low unsteady voice his eyes falling timidly before her glance but what you said is so true one can't create the spirit of religion if one hasn't it he broke off and added with a smile i think i have a certain amount of enthusiasm but when one has seen a good deal of the world it is so very easy to feel discouraged think how much sheer barbarism there is around us from the brutal savage of the gutter to the cunning savage of the stock exchange. Irene had a gleam in her eyes. She nodded appreciation. "'If,' he went on vigorously, "'if one could make the multitude really understand, understand to the point of action, how enormously its interest is peace.' "'More hope that way, I'm afraid,' said Irene, "'than through idealisms.' "'Yes,' yes if it comes at all it will be by the way of self-interest and really it looks as if the military tyrants might overreach themselves here and there italy for instance think of italy crushed and cursed by a blood-tax that the people themselves see to be futile one enters into the spirit of the men who freed italy from foreigners it was glorious but how much more glorious to excite a rebellion there against her own rulers. Shouldn't you enjoy doing that? At times there is no subtler compliment to a woman than to address her as if she were a man. It must be done involuntarily, as was the case with this utterance of Otway's. Irene rewarded him with a look such as he had never had from her, the look of rejoicing comradeship indeed i should italy is becoming a misery to those who love her is no plot going on couldn't one start a conspiracy against that infamous misgovernment there's an arch plotter at work his name is hunger let us be glad that italy can't enrich herself by manufactures who knows the revolution against militarism may begin there as that against feudalism did in france Talk of enthusiasm! How should we feel if we read in the paper some morning that the Italian people had formed into an army of peace, refusing to pay another centesimo for warfare? The next boat for Calais, the next train for Rome! Their eyes met, interchanging gleams of laughter. Oh, But the crowd, the crowd, sighed Piers. What is bad enough to say of it? Who shall draw its picture with long enough ears? It has another aspect, you know. Oh, it has. At its best, a smiling simpleton. At its worst, a murderous maniac. You're not exactly a socialist, remarked Irene, with that smile which, linking past and present, blended in Otway's heart old love and new, her smile of friendly irony. Socialism? i seldom think of it which means that i have no faith in it when we came in you were playing i miss the connection said irene with a puzzled air oh, forgive me i am fond of music and it has been in my mind all the time the hope that you would play again Oh, That was merely the slow music, as one might say, of the drawing-room mysteries, an obligato in the after-dinner harmony. I play only to amuse myself, or when it's a painful duty. Piers was warned by his tactful conscience that he had held Miss Derwent quite long enough in talk. A movement in their neighbourhood gave miserable opportunity. He resigned his seat to another expectant and did his best to converse with someone else her voice went with him as he walked homeward across the park under a fleecy sky silvered with moonlight the voice which now and again brought back so vividly their first meeting at yule he lived through it all again the tremors the wild hopes the black despair of eight years ago how she encountered him on the stairs, talked of his long hours of study, and prophesied, with that indescribable blending of gravity and jest, still her characteristic, that he would come to grief over his examination. Irene, Irene, did she dream what was in his mind and heart? The long, long love, his very life through all labours and cares and casualties. Did she suspect it? imagine it if she had received his foolish verses he grew hot to think of them there must have been at least a moment when she knew that he worshipped her and does such knowledge ever fade from a woman's memory irene irene was she brought nearer to him by her own experience of heart trouble that she had suffered he could not doubt impossible for her to have given her consent to marriage unless she believed herself in love with the man who wooed her. It could have been no trifling episode in her life, whatever the story. Irene was not of the women who yield their hands in jest, in pique, in light-hearted ignorance. The change visible in her was more, he fancied, than could be due to the mere lapse of time. During her silences, she had the look of one familiar with mental conflict, perhaps of one whose pride had suffered an injury. The one or two glances which he ventured while she was talking with the man who succeeded to his place beside her perceived a graver countenance, a reserve such as she had not used with him, and of this insubstantial solace he made a sort of hope which winged the sleepless hours till daybreak he had permission to call upon Mrs. Borisoff, at times alien to polite routine. Thus, when nearly a week had passed, he sought her company at midday and found her idling over a book, her seat by a window which viewed the Thames and the broad embankment with its plane trees and London beyond the water, picturesque in squalid hugeness through summer haze and the sagging smoke of chimneys numberless. She gave a languid hand, pointed to a chair, gazed at him with embarrassing fixity. "'I don't know about the castle,' were her first words. "'Perhaps I shall give it up.' "'You are not serious.' Piers spoke and looked in dismay, and still she kept her heavy eyes upon him. "'What does it matter to you?' she said carelessly. Oh, "'I counted on, on showing you the Dales.' Mrs. Borisoff nodded twice or thrice and laughed, then pointed to the prospect through the window. This is more interesting. Imagine historians living a thousand years hence. What would they give to see what we see now? Oh, one often has that thought. It's about the best way of making ordinary life endurable. They watched the steamers and barges, silent for a minute or two. So, you had rather I didn't give up the castle? I should be horribly disappointed. Yes, no doubt you would. Why did you come to see me today? No, no, no. The real reason. I wanted to talk about Miss Derwent, Pierce answered, bracing himself to frankness. Mrs. Borisoff's lips contracted in something which was not quite a smile but which became a smile before she spoke. If you hadn't told the truth, Mr. Otway, I would have sent you about your business. Well, talk of her. I'm ready. Oh, but certainly not if it wearies you. Talk. Talk. I'll begin with a question. Does Miss Derwent go much into society? (laughs) No. Not very much, and it's only the last few months that she's been seen at all in London. I mean, since the affair that people talked about. Did they talk disagreeably? Oh, gossip, chatter, half-malicious without malicious intention. Don't you know the way of the sweet creatures? I would tell you more if I could. The simple truth is that Irene has never spoken to me about it. Never once. When it happened she came suddenly to Paris to a hotel and from there wrote me a letter just saying that her marriage was off. No word of explanation. Of course I fetched her at once to my house and from that moment to this I have not heard one reference from her to the matter. You would like to know something about the hero? He has been away a good deal, building up the empire as they say which means, of course, looking after his own and other people's dividends. Oh, thank you. Oh, now let us talk about the castle. But Mrs. Borisoff was not in a good humour today, and Piers very soon took his leave. Her hand felt rather hot. He noticed this particularly as she let it lie in his longer than usual, part of her absent-mindedness. Piers had often resented, as a weakness, his susceptibility to the influence of others' moods. He did so today, when having gone to Mrs. Borisoff in an unusually cheerful frame of mind, he came away languid and despondent. But his scheme of life permitted no such idle brooding as used to waste his days. Self-discipline sent him to his work, as usual, through the afternoon, and in the evening he walked ten miles. The weather was brilliant as he stood far away in rural stillness watching a noble sunset he repeated to himself words which had of late become his motto enjoy now this moment will never come again but the intellectual resolve was one thing the moral aptitude another he did not enjoy how many hours in all his life had brought him real enjoyment idle to repeat and repeat that life was the passing minute which must be seized made the most of he could not live in the present life was to him forever a thing postponed i will live i will enjoy some day as likely as not that day would never dawn was it true as admonishing reason sometimes whispered that happiness cometh not by observation that the only true content is in the moments which we pass without self-consciousness is all attainment followed by disillusion a man aware of his health is on the verge of malady were he to possess his desire to exclaim i am happy would the fates chastise his presumption that way lay asceticism which his soul abhorred on rather following the great illusion if this it were the crown of life philosophise as he might that word still had its meaning still its inspiration let the present pass untasted he preferred his dream of a day to come next morning very unexpectedly he received a note from mrs borisoff inviting him to dine with her a few days hence about her company she said nothing and piers went uncertain whether it was a dinner tete-a-tete or with other guests When he entered the room, the first face he beheld was Irene's. It was a very small party and the hostess wore her gayest countenance. A delightful evening from the social point of view, for Piers Otway, a time of self-forgetfulness in the pleasures of sight and hearing. He could have little private talk with Irene, she did not talk much with anyone, but he saw her, he heard her voice, he lived in the glory of her presence, Moreover, she consented to play. Of her skill as a pianist, Otway could not judge. What he heard was music, music absolute, the very music of the spheres. When it ceased, Mrs. Borisoff chanced to look at him. He was startlingly pale, his eyes wide as if in vision more than mortal. I leave town tomorrow, said his hostess as he took leave. Some friends are going with me. You shall hear how we get on at the castle perhaps her look was meant to supplement this bare news it seemed to offer reassurance did she understand his look of entreaty in reply music breathed about him in the lonely hours it exalted his passion lulled the pains of desire held the flesh subservient to spirit what is love says the physiologist but ravening sex if so in piers otway's breast the primal instinct had undergone strange transformation how wrought he asked himself to what destiny did it correspond this winged love soaring into the infinite this rapture of devotion this utter humbling of self this ardour of the poet's soul singing a fellow-creature to the heaven of heavens by what alchemy comes it forth from blood and tissue nature has no need of such lyric life her purpose is well achieved by humbler instrumentality romantic lovers are not the ancestry of noblest lines and if as might well be his love were defeated and fruitless what end in the vast maze of things would his anguish serve end of chapter thirty three